Welcome to Automation Advocates, a show where we will talk about automation, manufacturing, and meet some of the personalities that are involved in the industry and get their perspectives. We hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy creating. Thanks, and here's the show. Coming in hot today on the uh, tail of a short lunch period and uh, meetings on the back end of this, but back with me again, Tyler Anderson. Hi again. What's happening? So you said you wanted to do it again, and we didn't waste any time here. I mean, when lightning strikes, it happens again. Right. Make uh, hay while the sun's shining and all that <laughs> other uh, happiness that goes with it. So a couple of the topics you said, hey, we should probably revisit with some of the AI, machine learning, predictive... Uh, I want to talk a little bit about process stuff today and what that means. Um, and I'm not an expert in that at all. So, uh, yeah. And while we're, while we're waiting here or while we're getting started, uh, trying to get into the chat GPT environment live and, uh, they're having a meltdown here. Too many people are clicking on it. So yay cloud. There's a lot there with that. Yeah, there is, right? <laughs> do so, we start there or do we come back to there? I mean, we can we can keep it going. I did I did uh, make sure that I had a login and everything working before I got here. Right on. Um, so I did I did front load some some prompts for it today. So so if you've if you've not seen this yet, and to, yeah, to pick up where we left off. So we were talking about. The, this, the kind of the hype thing right now is this thing called chat GPT and it's this like language learning model. They've, it's, you know, again, the short recap, they went and scraped the internet of everything they could in 2001. They built a kind of model database for lack of a better word of all of the things and then figured out a way to interact with it. So if you ever used a chat box, like back in the AOL instant messenger days. Oh yeah. It's, it's kind of like that, like, but it's, you can have a conversation with it, but it's not a human. It's not a human. So, I mean, for me, I think like this kind of started and I don't even want to say it's cause it's not the same thing. I was going to make the comparison to like the original phone answering chat bots, but those were really just voice recognition with a case statement behind them, right? Like there's no case statement here. Correct. It's like a, and that's where it gets really complex. Like it's this like neural network sort of, they kind of sort of know how it works and kind of doesn't. And I mean, there's, it's a whole big experiment and that's actually part of why I, I don't think you can get in right now is because it's, it's since it's like a free beta. So it's something they, I believe is they're going to charge money for someday. But right now they're trying to take all of the input that people give it to make their model better, to make it respond to answering questions better and all of that. I'm officially in. Okay. So, so you, so I tried to, I tried to find a, a Justin question. I did ask it, who is Justin Garski? Yeah. It didn't know. <laughs> it didn't have anything to say How about dare that. dare it not know? <laughs> uh, so I went, I went on this uh, explain robotic welding programming in simple terms. Yeah. 
Um, so it's, it told me robotic welding is a process in which a robot is programmed to perform welding tasks. The programming process involves teaching the robot how to move its welding tool and control the welding process by providing it with a set of instructions. This can be done through various methods, such as teaching the robot by physically moving its arm to show the desired movement, or by inputting the instructions into the robot's controller through a computer program. Once the robot is programmed, it can then perform the welding tasks with a high degree of accuracy and repeatability. As a expert in this field, because I did spend a fair amount of time doing this and my dad did it for two decades prior, I would agree with that answer. So I, I felt that was acceptable too. So, so I, I pushed it a little further. Yeah. So my next question I gave it is what are the top things to consider when programming robotic welders? Fair. And I've got, I, I could give you five of those. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm thinking actually I'm going to write them down here. Okay. So bear, bear with us all here as Justin tries to type really fast. Uh, okay. Um, I can't sing a song and type at the same time. Um, uh, okay, I got three real quick. So I'm going to go, we're going to roll with three. Okay, so, so here it is. Yeah. I won't, I won't read them all down, but so it gave me seven. Okay. And so the first one, of course, in everything is safety. Oh, that didn't make my list. <laughs> uh, and it's, oh, it even says that. Safety is always the top priority when working with robots. That's geographically based, but <laughs> yes. And I'm not going to tell you where it's not valid, but we can guess. Uh, so, and I'll just roll through them quick here. The second one, it says welding parameters, workpiece positioning, path planning, error handling, data tracking and monitoring, and maintenance and troubleshooting. So that's not exactly wrong either. But for me, where I went was I said, hey, the tooling layout is super important because then you have to avoid whacking clamps. And some of those clamps when you're welding parts are manual, right? You've seen the manual like slider things. 50-50 shot the operator gets those closed correctly every time. So you also have to account for what if they're still open instead of closed. So I thought tooling layout. The other one I put in there was sloppy parts, right? So two oh. bent parts versus laser cut parts are very different um, and change everything. And then the third one I came back with was warping due to heat. Oh. Because as you heat steel or aluminum, whatever you're welding it doesn't necessarily stay where it was, right? Things move. Um, and you don't really know that unless you understand metallurgy and heating and cooling and expansion contraction. And I, yeah, that one in, I mean, those are all great ones that, but that last one is going to really play havoc on doing anything accurately. If you don't take that into consideration without a doubt or right. Cause so I did tractor parts one once upon a time and there were dimensions like picture something the shape of a U that goes on the front of a combine, right? Where the rows of stalks fit through there. And there was a dimensional accuracy about where the legs of that U were. But the welding happened down at the valley of the U. Oh. So you could literally, depending on how long you left that arc on, you could manipulate 
the dimension <laughs> out at the legs of the U. That's wild. Right? And and I I had no idea, but the first time I laid heat to this thing and then I tried to pull it out of the fixture, it wasn't <laughs> coming out. It was stuck. And then my dad came over and I, I was fortunate enough to be able to work with my dad for a number of years. And he's like, you're stupid. <laughs> you did this wrong. And I'm like, oh. But I had no idea, right? Like, how do you prevent it from spring stealing square down onto itself? Yeah, so this so this is all going to be, I mean, and we're not, we don't have to get super philosophical today, but like this whole new world brings us to a really interesting, like, like what, what is truth and what is our role in that? Because for sure, because like the future, we're not just like coming up with creative ideas, but we're also going to somehow be involved as being the like arbiters of truth. Because like what this just spit out, like this is a, if you don't know anything about it, it's compelling. And it's not really wrong. It, right. But it, it just maybe not be complete. But it, you know what it's missing? And I don't know if I should tell it this because they're going to, someday they'll hear this. Yeah. But what it's missing is all of that like hands-on, we did it wrong experience sort of stuff. Totally. And that's, you know, where a lot of my personal career knowledge comes from is from right, doing it wrong. Right, right. So that, I mean, textbook wise, that probably hits, it, it hits all of the things. I mean, you could probably drop yeah. what you said into like error handling or path planning-ish. Yeah, sure. I mean, so you could, you could make a case that it is still correct. Yeah. But you're going to, you're going to mess up some stuff along the way if you don't get there. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like you say, it's not wrong, and and I say this to customers all the time: you're not wrong, but you're just not exactly right. <laughs> um, I shouldn't say I say that to customers all the time, but it does come up time to time, right? And and it's one of those things where you don't know what you don't know, and and also, and, and maybe this is where the 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 future will go is you know. Should we be asking it follow-on questions to say, hey, you missed something. What about this? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And then, like I, like I said last time also, like, this is just, like, beta version whatever. I think three. I think that's the three of the GPT-3. Um, I could be incorrect. But the next one is going to be even more information, even more capability, which is going to be nuts especially with a bunch of people like us feeding it stuff. For sure. For sure. So I just asked it a question because I've been struggling with this and Charlie will be uh, glad that I asked it. I just said, why won't my name, name cheap DNS connect to WordPress? Because <laughs> I still can't get our website to work. And it says, oh, there could be several reasons. Incorrect DNS settings. Make sure they match. DNS propagation 24 to 48 hours before they happen across the internets. Clear your cache. Delete your cookies, right? Firewall could be firewall problems. Your website could be down or you just don't know your URL. It's not wrong. It didn't get you any closer. It either. didn't get me any closer. So you, you went to something practical. I... You know, I decided to take it a different direction. Yeah. I have to see which one I like the most. 
Uh, so I asked it to please generate a rap about industrial process automation. Do I need to throw down a sick beat here? Yeah. Do you have a, do you have, (laughs) (laughs) did you plan for this moment? No, but I do have one of these. All right. So this is, I don't know if I'll actually wrap it, but this is, it's, this is interesting. Okay. So here we go. Is this the first time anybody's done like a rap on automation advocates? Totally. We are breaking ground. (laughs) This is uncharted territory. All right. So here we go. Chat beat chat GPT on industrial process automation as a rap. Yo, check it. I'm the robot King in the factory. I do my thing. Automation flow. It's a beautiful thing. Industrial process. I bring the change. No need for human labor. I got it covered from welding to assembly. I'm always discovered efficiency and precision. That's my mission. I'm always learning. Never need permission. AI brain power, never tire, just keep on running, never expire. I'm the future of the game, industrial process automation. That's my name. It's clever. It's clever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, had the two of us sat down and tried to carve something up, it would have been terrible. And we'd still be thinking about it. So, yeah. All right. I mean, it's, it. yeah, it wasn't, uh, you know, yes, as you said, we, we probably could have tried and done worse. Way worse. Way worse. Huh. That's, uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So that's like. The like creative applications for it are sure. super interesting uh, because like creating these random abstract connections and poems and raps and some of that stuff is like right up its alley. I did ask it. I just sent it like a question mark after that. And it did respond like, I'm sorry, I am really not good currently at technical information and or, you know, stuff like raps. I feel like that's something that uh, we should be handing out to people every day, like cards that say, hey, I'm not good at this. Because <laughs> it's okay to admit that. Like, I know it's scary, but you gotta. So as we came up with the podcast, uh, because Charlie and Sarah are also technical in nature mostly, um, what a disaster trying to come up with a name. Hmm. Like, forget a whole rap. The name was terrible. So here, I just asked it 10 names for an automation-centric podcast. Oh. Automation Nation. The Future of Work. Robotalk. Efficiency Evolved. The Automation Revolution. It keeps going on. Um, That could have saved me a whole lot of heartburn. (laughs) So, like, I think one of the things that's not panned out yet, or I... Maybe, maybe it is. And I did not, you know, hashtag read the fine print, but who owns this? So like it came up with the name or like this rap or whatever, like, is that just, is it partially me because I gave it a prompt and it responded? Is it it? Because it, I I, I don't even know if it's an it, like what is it the AI because it ran its algorithm and did its thing like Good question. Good question. Um, 
you know, we, we had the debate about who owns my code. This is a whole different can of uh, disgustingness to try to figure out. Yeah, and and I mean, I think it does disclaimer, like anything that you put into it right now essentially trains it more for tomorrow. Oh, totally. Yeah. So like, how does that work? So if you come up with some creative original thing, you yeah. put it in there to try to build a more creative thing. Sure. And now it uses that information to build a prompt for somebody else. So somebody else is getting a piece of your content without you ever seeing it, but it may be combined with somebody else's. So that therefore you could, do you call it a creative work? In which case, like, I don't know. That is interesting. I did see like colleges, Oh, they're losing their mind right now. High schools, like they're, they're already putting rules in place because I'm, we haven't fully talked about this, but I'm guessing the world's a better place because we weren't in school at the same time together. Because this is totally something I would have discovered and like, huh, let me feed it my English paper prompt. (laughs) (laughs) But then you have to go and like compare it to your... 30 classmates to make sure it didn't poop out the same paper twice. But that's if, if I fed it an original enough prompt in theory, it wouldn't have. Sure. Or you just hit the little regenerate button down at the bottom and tell it to do better. So I'm going to hit regenerate on this other one here and let's see if it comes back with more. I'm stupid. I should have taken a screenshot because it just deleted the 10 and it gave me the first time. I mean, that's kind of like the random number generators, though, in in things like games, right? Like, sure. You're hoping it's different every time or every time-ish. Sometimes it's not. Uh, Looks like a lot of these are the same. There's a couple different ones in there. I'd say about 50%. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you can tell it to, like, write a paper and then Barry, if you read this, I'll buy you ice cream in it. Sure, sure. I mean, not that I ever did that on a paper, but. (laughs) (laughs) What? You mean people don't actually read it all? I would. It's a complicated topic. This is a deep one, and I, I, like, I want to ask it all the questions, but I also don't want to ask it any questions because I'm like, I don't know. It's like, because now I'm logged in as me. Right. Like, here. So here's here's a real question for me. Uh, So I've been shooting with my my rifle recently, and I'm not sure which bullets perform best. So let me see. uh, What bullets... Perform best in a SIG cross rifle. Let's see what it says. Well, I think, so my thought here is that since I would anticipate that there is a ton of reviews, technical data, all sorts of stuff to actually crawl through. Sure. Like in theory, it would be not easy, but it should generate a decent answer. Yeah, and this one is, uh, it's trying. It's like, hey, 
It gave me a little preface. It said that the performance of a bullet in a rifle is dependent on several factors, including a specific model, intended use, and specific characteristics of the bullet itself. However, some are commonly used in this rifle, and here are why. And so now it's listing out Sierra Match King, Hornaday, ELDX, Nosler, Ballistic Tip, Burger, VLD, Lapua. Ultimately, it's up. Always best to consult the owner's manual and manufacturer's recommendations. Is this where I tell it I don't read good? <laughs> huh. I. It, it's not, again, it's not wrong. Might not be exactly right. It didn't give me exactly what I was looking for because, like, these are just names of products that are sold that doesn't tell me anything about the weights or... Sure. You know, none of the other stuff that would matter. Kind of like the welding example, right? Like, it, it wasn't wrong, but it wasn't exactly super useful. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's going to be, hmm. I think it's going to be one of those emerging, you know, I'm sure there will be a competitor out there that does it, you know, more better, all the things. Well, didn't you say there was a, like a new version that they're working on right now? It's like 100X or 500X more intelligent because yeah, they some, let it crawl. And, yep, yep. So what kind of, and I, I don't know if you've got the answer or if we've got the answer, but like what kind of compute power is used to, like what did it take to generate that? Like did we spin up like some crazy supercomputer in the basement <laughs> of somewhere in Washington? Like it, I don't know if, this should be a stat on this website is like your request cost X amount of dollars or like you, your, <laughs> this was calculated using 5,000 years worth of human existence was to ask me to generate a rap about your podcast. Right. Right. Well, isn't that, uh, Somebody showed me a clip the other day from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe around the uh, what's the meaning of life. And it took them however many thousands of years to calculate. And then they came up with like a single number was the answer. Is this kind of where we're going? Uh, okay. So I did ask it how much computing power is used to generate the average response. It says... Uh, the amount of computing power will vary depending on several factors, including complexity, blah, 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 blah. The original GPT model had 1.5 billion parameters and required a lot of computing power. While smaller models like GPT-2 have fewer parameters and require less. Three, GPT-3, requires a lot to generate a response. It's the one of the largest language models to date. It requires TPUs, tensor processing units. I don't know what that means. Um, yeah, so that's the biggest non-answer answer out there, <laughs> which I get. Like, it probably was more complicated to answer the rap question than it was to answer that. But, yeah, how much, like... Yeah, and that's the so that's where you can make it really complex is that you can say like, um, and I you know just because I made a rap example, but like you can ask it generate a rap in the style of Snoop Dogg or whoever, right? Sure. So 
think about what's required for that. So it's got to go catalog the previous stuff, assign some sort of pattern, and then apply said pattern and create new. That's bonkers. Do we switch gears a little bit here now? Yes. Okay. So, and this is, this is the long arc. Like, so how, please, how do we get this to automation? Yeah. And so what's, what's wild is that some of this technology, I mean, not, you know, we may be talking GPUs, not, you know, pinky to mouth TPUs um, in reference to, you know, old movies, but (laughs) so for instance, there is a product I think uh, that Rockwell has called Logics AI. So it will allow you to look at your process and make a prediction based on, you know, whatever factors that you give it. So you, you want it to know when this pump is going to fail or when this tank is going to be empty or whatever. Like uh-huh. this, it exists today. You can pop this thing in the, the chassis and you point it to the things that you want it to predict or measure or be a virtual sensor for. And then you can use that information to make decisions on your process. So, I mean, it's not, it's not scraping all of, you know, the world's existence on how to, this pump should run. But today you can do this on, on your process in your plant. Like it exists today. Like you can buy it. Oh, sure. Sure. But it, it's operating underneath a very specific set of rules, correct? Correct. Do you still need a data scientist to do that sort of a thing? I think with this product, you don't. I mean, I think you, you literally like point it at the couple things that you want and, you know, hashtag point it in the direction of the math that you want it to do as yep. a long hashtag. Yep. Yep. And, and you, that's what you end up with. So a little more, and, and I'm, I think I told you on the first podcast, I'm a, I'm a process guy and you mentioned it today. This is process is a world that you don't typically venture into. So actually the, the, the times that we've talked about process before, I believe uh, process and motion con- control do have some similarities except uh, I believe process is what, like 100 times slower than <laughs> anything that you do on a daily basis? I, I do make fun of my peer about that once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Which is okay, right? It's just uh, the, the rate of change. Like things just move fast. And also we're worried about things that are typically that like fit in your hand and you're worried about like entire water towers or bigger different scales right yeah so i so i probably undersold process last time when you asked me what it was so i mean it's sure i said it's stuff going through a pipe but i think you mentioned it's stuff in a tank um it's it's generally used to make other things i think is a another way to describe it so you know process control is is a refinery or specialty chemical sure sure um you know you're making you're making things that make other things gasoline or you know some specialty yep. thing um yeah uh, there's yeah 
So it's it's much better. It's it's much bigger than just stuff through a pipe. But that's that's in general, you know, where you start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and so I haven't I haven't dug a ton into that AI application. But my other favorite one was an acquisition that we did around a pavilion. Yes. So that's uh, MPC model predictive control. And. And while Pavilion's a rack will brand, there are other people out there that do this sort of a thing. This yep. isn't a one-of-a-kind bespoke technology, but um, go ahead and walk us through kind of the underlying premise because I think this one is, for me, it's more easy to understand. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's the one is kind of this abstract, like the logics, you know, the AI the piece is just, I'm going to create an abstract thing where model predictive control is more of like I I have I'm going to create a model and I want to create I want to learn from that model to do other things. So it's it's all in the same vein of like Chat GPT, like it's the same sort of like model premise. So you you feed it information and it optimizes its answer based on what you feed it. So like model predictive control, you have a couple different things, um, and I'll I'll explain it this way because it's it's I don't like the long complicated answers. So let's pretend that we are uh, trying to control a shower. Sure. And uh, we'll, we'll go back a couple years and the shower is, it has a hot valve and a cold valve. Yep. Yep. So, so those are your, uh, so those are two variables. So those are the things you can control or manipulate. Yep. Um, And then we have all sorts of constraints that we want to, optimize for. So what is the temperature of the water? Um, I don't want to burn myself. I don't want it to be too cold. I may want to maximize the amount of time I'm in the shower. Sure. You know, so, so there's all of these things. So the general relationship is, you know, when I turn the hot water valve, it makes it hot. And when I turn the cold water valve, it makes it cold. And so I can actually view that response as it relates to these different things that I'm trying to control. Mm-hmm. So now if I start looking at that as a as a as an entire thing, I can see that okay, well if I combine turning up the hot water and turning up the cold water, I'm going to end up with this piece in the middle, this intermediary. Yep. So now I can start I can start using that to optimize the process. So the combination of controlling these two valves is going to get me the desired temperature that I want, which is ultimately the goal of it's the, the goal of the constraints that I've given it. Sure. Now. Sure. Well, and for me, I think about like how much cold water was in that pipe that's labeled hot water that I had to flush out before. Right. Cause I've caught myself in the morning. If I'm in a hurry, like full hot, give her the yank, get all that out of the system until I do burn my hand and then throttle it back down. Right. Yep. Um, versus starting where like when I'm actually like you could put a an indicator on my knob and it's in the same spot every time right like there's not a lot of variability except for that one instance right but I would think that that same thing holds true in making cheese or plastic or anything else right like sure. there's certain pieces that you have to ramp up in a specific way to get the desired output yep and and then there's all these other factors that you also try to model. So is the process cold, like to what you just said, in which case I got to ramp up the hot water. I mean, that's going to that's going to have a very distinct profile. Sure. Are you in the shower? 
and somebody flushes the toilet and your cold water pressure Lower pressure, yep. And your, you know, yeah. heat goes up and you have to jump back. Like, so those are, those in MPC, those are referred to as disturbances. So what are, what are all these things that can affect the process that you are sure. trying to control? Sure. So you model all of those and then can now like account for that. Okay, well, the pipes are cold and this is the temperature coming out of the hot water and these are the pressures. And so the more information that you feed it, the more complex of the model you can make, which in turns helps it control what you're the manipulating, what you're manipulating more accurately. So you, you can, yeah. you can change the valves. I think I've told this story before, but I, I remember doing a, and, and I'll loop this one back to where we were at. I did a project where I was doing a vision guided line tracking application. So product is coming down a conveyor, taking a picture of it with a camera while it's moving and then picking it up, putting it in a box. And every day at about three thirty, four o'clock, my machine went haywire. And I figured it out as the sun coming through the windows next to where <laughs> I was setting this demo up, right? And so I think there's prob- there's got to be ambient conditions too that, and and, and I I'm, I'm leading the witness here because I've read some of the success stories we've had with it, but you have to account for environmental things that are sometimes out of your control, but can impact and you can predict their impact on the output, right? Yep. Um, in in the world of cheese, right, that might be humidity, huge part of it. Um, how much water can I ship versus cheese product? Sure. Oh, aside from temperature and humidity, what other things do you bump into on a regular basis where you're like, man, I should probably account for that sort of a thing? Uh, temperature, humidity, uh, pressures are typically a big one. Okay. Flows. Sure. You know, so those, I mean, those are the, the building block blocks of all things process. And I'm guessing, depending on how long something sat, it might change the characteristics of a product or a fluid, yep. maybe, right? Yep. yep. Hmm. So this is this is another thing that's pretty unique with process, is that, uh, you know, like you, you have more motion machine builder experience. So sure, sure. Like, to me, I'm always in awe of any, like, robotic tooling or, yeah. you know, a lot of the machine builders have these just, I think they're just wicked clever contraptions for you know let me orient this lid in a certain way oh, yeah. so it can be oh, yeah. like there's some those are some super clever yeah so with process the the cleverness comes in how do you measure some of this stuff okay and so there's like a whole bunny trail of like i'll call them clever instruments but they like how do you measure the flow through a pipe you know there's, there's many different ways that like just in flow meters, like you have uh, magnetic flow meters, you have ultrasonic, uh, Coriolis. Uh, there's some, you know, there's, there's all of these different principles that somebody's come up with and go, oh, well, the, you know, have you ever tried to measure the Coriolis effect? And it'll tell you the mass of what's flowing through it. You know, if you. Is that the one where it's like the three wires that are sticking into the pipe? Uh, that's the 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 Coriolis is the one that like looks like a upside down or depending on how it's oriented it's like okay. looks like a a U or an O okay like it's like normally you know mag meters just looks like this big like bump 
on the yeah, pipe. Yeah, yeah. Coriolis typically like there are different designs, but they'll okay. like come out and like make a a weird design funky or a funky shape or sometimes it's a tube. Like there there's all different sure. orientations, but huh. I asked because when we were doing welding systems, we had initially we had these it was like the dumbest little piece of plastic or rubber with like a a little copper float inside of it. So if you had gas flow or like push this thing up and that was literally the contact oh, yeah. and the switch. And if you clamp down too hard on the sensor, it would stick, right? And so then it wouldn't work or God forbid you had dirty air ever go through it and that yep. thing gummed up. And then I remember these guys came out with this tube where it was literally like a piece of pipe with these three little pieces of wire that stuck inside of it with the sensor like permanently attached to this tube. And I was like, what the hell am I going to do with that? Like, <laughs> well, that's your flow sensor. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> but it, it's interesting because again, it's a, it's a world that I have no idea. Right. But so, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I'm, there's somebody listening that it's upset that I didn't rattle off the six other flow meters <laughs> that are, that are, pre, you know, prevalent. Uh, but I mean, the same thing exists for pressure. Like you can measure flow, with a with a with a flow orifice and measure the pref the pressure drop between the two the two sides of that like and sure, then you can sure. you can measure like you can measure the pressure of a pressurized vessel to come up with how much is in it and um, you talked about like a level switch so there's like floats and there's uh, old school one is like bubblers so you literally like stick a stick a tube and blow bubbles at the bottom of this tank. <laughs> and the effort that it takes to blow the bubble is, is like reflects how much level there is. Oh, sure. Cause it's a pressure thing at that point. Right, right, right. And then all sorts of, you know, the, so the, I worked in the, the water municipality. I mentioned that last time. So like we had all sorts of water quality analyzers that would get super like, we had one that would do measurements of things in the parts per billion. I can't imagine. Like that's what like I, even in clean rooms we talk PPM. Yeah, millions. And that's and a, and a lot of the measurements are parts per million, but there's some that are doing parts per billion. Jeez. So like I I read last night it's like that's like one kernel of corn in a 16 foot wide grain silo that's 40 feet 45 feet tall. One kernel of corn. What what are you measuring at that level of precision? I mean, all of the all of the different stuff that's potentially in the water. I mean, that seems like like virus level sort of. Oh yeah. Yep. Huh. Huh. That's that's spooky. So while you were doing that, though, I did look up common common flow meters here. I asked the chatbot: <laughs> magnetic, ultrasonic, Coriolis, thermal, vortex, positive displacement, and turbine. Oh, there we go. So I think you're good. I think you labeled most of those, all with very unique like applications. And sure. so that's depending on the characteristics of your process. You you kind of need some of those, like. Uh, positive displacement flow meter is really interesting because, um, you know, you're using all of these, like, I'll call them clever principles, but, you know, engineering principles that are applied to, to measure some of these. Um, so, like, one instance where you used a positive displacement flow meter is when we were 
metering in very small amounts of sulfuric acid to adjust the, you know, the water quality. Yeah. Yep. And so there's like, it's so little amount that the positive displacement, you know, they have different styles. Sometimes they look like gears or whatever, but okay. every time it, you push enough through, you, you know, that that's, that's the actual amount that went through this. Like it only counts oh when it gets when it goes through okay Okay. and because it's like such a small amount yep yep um but then like that's that's the other trick in the process world is that a lot of what you're making um doesn't like to stay in or where it is sometimes so like sulfuric acid for example like you have to have very specific metallurgy and like potentially even the sensors that are connected to it mm-hmm. because the the acid will actually eat through like a pressure switch for example sure sure so if you use the wrong metal or gasket material it will actually eat through that in which case you'll wonder why your pressure switch doesn't work and somebody opens the cover and sulfuric acid will be bubbling out of it sure that doesn't sound like a fun one either no it's well it in looking through the description of these, what they all talk about is the accuracy and the pressure drop. So that seemed to be the two characteristics that the chatbot decided to grab. And as you go through it, and, and as you were just talking through some of the differences, it kind of makes sense, right? So the, it, they are different. Um, I, I think that whole material science thing is, is interesting, which that's a whole different topic we can cover. But we run into that in food and Bev, too, where it's like, hey, here's our MSDS for what we're cleaning our stuff with. And hopefully none of them are sulfuric acid because that's specifically, you know, extra gross to touch or not touch. Um, but that's always a challenge. Is like, well, as a product design group, how do you design something that's safe for all of it? Because they're all different. Like, I don't know. I don't envy that. Product managers around the world, shout out because... That's a miserable question to try to answer. Well, and that's, and this is some of what's been really interesting or was, has always been interesting to me is like the material science, uh, some, even some of the math on like how you combine these things and it does other things. Like, I don't know. That's not, that's not the stuff that like makes me really excited. It's for me, it's the actual like controls, like, okay, you you came up with this clever thing to give me how much of something is in here. Uh-huh. And so if I know that piece of information and I can now control this valve or I can control whatever. Yep. Now I can, I can do something with that. I can create it. And then you take some of those other pieces. And I mean, that's like, that's like the, the mystery of refineries. Like, have you ever dove into refineries? No, not that. That's the one corner of the world I've not they're they're nuts and i i won't even jump into the process because i won't do it justice but you know essentially there's the whole like fire triangle where you you need you need the three pieces in order to to make fire sure you need fuel oxygen and an ignition source is that yep so if you're ever devoid of one of them you're good so if you look at like some of some of like how uh you know the columns work like mm-hmm. you're literally like separating this super flammable stuff. And the way you separate it is by heating it up to 
really high temperatures. <laughs> what could go wrong? I... <laughs> I'm getting nervous just thinking about that. Well, and I, I explained this to one of my friends who's a, he was a web developer in Austin and um, he's like, man, like this is, you live in a weird industry. Cause if, if my stuff ever doesn't work, like people don't get to use their thing. Sure. Like I, sh- I show a status on the website that says your thing is down. Right. Or like the Xbox app on my phone. Like, I guess I can't chat with my buddies here. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing with process is that like generally when it's a bad day, it it makes the news. Right. Because we've dropped a bunch of oil on seals or we've leveled a city. Right. Yeah. So, that's why there's a ton of engineering and process safety and there's all sorts of there's there's a lot of rigor that goes into doing that the right way, but that's that's why is that's what's on the line. Aerospace was the same way, right? And, and every remember, I remember being in some of these fighter jet and commercial jet facilities, right? And it was always like super, super precise. All of the, all of the safety, all of the things, which makes me giggle because it's like running around in life. People are like, well, we gotta, we gotta build the plane while we're flying it. And I'm like, never in the history of building planes has that ever been a real thing. Like, you will die. You will make the news. Um, so process and airplanes have that in common. Yeah. It's crazy. Also, my, I had a cousin that was working with one of the refineries locally here and, uh, their offices were strategically placed offsite outside of the blast zone. Also true. Crazy. Like, yeah, there are, it is, it is regular to like to, to do that and or design buildings in a way so that when they dismantle themselves, there's a certain wall that will go first. So you can direct the blast oh, sure. out a certain way. Right? Well, just like our MCCs with the arc flash stuff, right? Yeah. We talked about that last yep. time. Yeah. So there's a there, <laughs> there's an exhaust wall. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And that... Uh, I. I mean, I learned that in the field, thankfully not in some like dramatic story, but sure, sure. um, they were, I was, I was at a site and they were giving the, uh, they had a combustion turbine that was generating power. So it was generating steam that was generating power. So burning gas or oil or coal that generated steam that spun the turbine that energized the, but it's literally like an airplane engine in a building. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so the, the thing that caught my attention is that they, they actually like give these things a bath. So like I, I, I walked in the plant after coming back from lunch one day and there's literally like soap bubbles coming out of this thing. Hmm. I'm like, that doesn't seem like it's normal. And they're like, Oh, nah, you do it sometimes. I'm like, okay, well I'd like to see that fire back up. Cause I'm, I mean, yeah. Trust yet verify. So I want to stand here and watch this thing turn back on. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So I'm like standing in front of this thing. And the operator, he, he comes kind of running over and he's like, hey, you can't stand over here. You got to be on the other side of this yellow line. I'm like, why? He's like, well, 
you're you're like in the the frontal kill zone of this thing. <laughs> so it's designed in a way that if if it decides to go like we've we've done the math and that's that's the has the highest likelihood of killing somebody that's sure there. sure spooky crazy it, yeah i that, that kind of brings back memories to the nuclear days where you'd be sitting there and there were a few times i got to go into the into the hot zone right so you're wearing the gloves and the dosimeter and the guy on the radio going i'm gonna need you to move and you're like oh and there you can't even see it right because it's just dust that's emitting magic but uh yeah think things that can take your uh, fingers and life quicker than you'd pr- prefer right yikes it's crazy so there i mean so you're gonna have to ask chat gpt how we how we wrap this on a on a happy note well, we're, we're, yeah. in a, we're in a spot right now. We are in a spot and we're running out of time. I did look up what a TPU is for those of you following along at home because I'm not that smart. Uh, and so it came up, it knew. A TPU is a tensor processing unit. It's a custom-built chip designed by Google specifically for accelerating machine learning workloads. And then there's a pile of other... Uh, paragraphs that came along with it so clearly this is a hot rotted chip makes me wonder why it's so much better than any other chip at that like what i feel like that's a different thing like what's the difference between a cpu a gpu and a tpu yes right we'll come back to that (laughs) maybe maybe we're just gonna ask the chatbot and it'll tell us and then we'll read that to you next time but we are out of time. Uh, anything uh, you want to say before we hit the button and uh, shove off? Because we're n- now we've left the cliffhanger. We're gonna have to do it again. Oh, okay. God forbid. No, the uh, I I'm really trying to figure out like a a clever way to end this. Sure, sure. And I already used up the wrap, so that's. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you might just have to replay that clip. Or perfect. You know, if I would have done my homework, I could have brought my uh, MIDI board, and we could have we could have <laughs> crafted a sick drum beat to go. Maybe next time. Maybe we we'll have to do a little homework, and we'll. Uh, well, here, maybe Charlie needs to see if he can generate something better than Chatbot. I think he's up for that challenge. I'm gonna text him. Um, Send me the question you queried it with, and I'm going to say, hey, come up with something. And then tell me how long it took. I like, I can end on this. That's Perfect. Good. All right, Charlie, we're, uh, we're challenging you to a duel. On that note, <laughs> we're out of here. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today. Thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed your time with us, please like and subscribe. Keep the letters coming to automationadvocates at gmail.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. The opinions in this show are ours and not representative of our employers. While normally polished, occasionally we might slide off the rails and into the ditch. Forgive us for that one.